Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 341, recorded April 25th, 2021. So today we're just doing two issues. Uh, the first two issues of Star Trek Voyager, Seven's Reckoning. Uh, yeah, I, from the title I was wondering what her reckoning would be, because I don't remember ever doing anything in the TV show that deserved a reckoning, unless you wanted to say, well, she was a Borg, but she didn't really have a lot of choice in that. Right. Uh, so I, I, and I'm still not 100% sure. Well, I, I guess we know by the end of the second issue. Uh, really? Because I, 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 I still don't know exactly what our reckoning is going to be. Well, okay. I re- reckon I know where the story is going, but I mean, I don't really see how it has anything to do with her, like, doing penance or anything, something like that. Well, let's find out, shall we? Yeah, let's right. let's get into it and see. Uh, but definitely, after we're going to be halfway done by the end of this episode. So definitely, exactly how this is going to end up, not a hundred percent sure. But I mean, obviously, the, the trajectory is there. Sure. Uh, how Seven is definitely going to do something that uh, Captain Janeway is probably not going to be crazy about. Um. Right. So we'll see. We will see. We will see. I like uh, I, I, I like these two issues. These are good. Uh, yeah, no, it's good. It's a nice short little story. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, four issues is, is shorter than most of the miniseries is, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, not at all. And, of course, this is actually going in and examining a little nook of time, um, I guess, between episodes of Voyager when uh, when Seven came on. So it's kind of interesting. It's just a, a little insertion, a little story insertion. Right. So I think this is what, season five? So is that when she came somewhere on? Somewhere at the beginning of season five Okay, is when this, this episode or issue is supposed to happen. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, shall we just go into the story? See what happens in the first issue? Sure. Let's do that. Okay. I'm doing number one, which is, it actually has a title, uh, The End of... Of the way of all things. So, nice, interesting title. November 2020 is the published date. Creative team is writer uh, Dave Baker. Art, Angel Hernandez. And I think he does a really good job. Colors, Rhonda Pattison. Letterer, Neil Yataki. Editor, Chase W. Marotz. Okay, so we got three covers out there. Uh, Cover A is dominated by Seven and Janeway's heads. Voyager is speeding upwards between them in kind of like a, like, like there's a silvery trail uh, behind Voyager that kind of bisects the two ladies' heads. Uh, A silvery planet surface is at the bottom, along with three smaller spheres that I guess are supposed to be moons. And the cover is by Angel Hernandez. 
Cover B is a stock photo of seven from the TV series. Enough said. The retailer incentive cover features a stylistic drawing of a black, purple, and white bird that has Voyager gripped in its beak. What appears to be electrical light discharges are emanating radially from Voyager. In the background is a red-tinged starry sky uh, above the tall towers of a uh, city below. A futuristic-looking city. And that cover is by Jeffrey Vrege. V-E-R-E-G-G-E. Okay, I think think that's right. Janeway and Tuvok are unconscious on the ground near one another. Chakotay, two security men, and what at first appears to be the doctor, run up to the two senior officers. The doctor-slash-medical person determines they only have minor injuries. Suddenly, a familiar-looking female Borg advances on them, telling Chakotay and his team to lower their weapons. Fast forward to a time when the Voyager crew took that threatening Borg into their crew. Whether she will be taken into their family is yet to be seen. At the moment, Captain Janeway, Tuvok, and the rest of the bridge crew are listening to Ensign Harry Kim's sensor analysis of the hulking ship directly in front of them. The ship is huge and an unknown design. It is transmitting low subspace signals that appear to be encrypted messages. So far, they are unable to decrypt the signal and figure out the language. Captain Janeway orders Chakotay to assemble a boarding party to see if they can make contact and offer the occupants aid. The captain asks her first officer to take their new Borg companion. She might be able to identify what alien species mans that ship. On the derelict ship, Chakotay dispatches Tuvok, Seven of Nine, and Wildman to find engineering and see what kind of shape the engines are in. On their way, Seven says the Borg have not encountered the species before that constructed the ship. From huge artwork on the ship's walls, they conclude this is likely a generational colony ship of some kind. Meanwhile, Jacote and a crewman named Price find the desiccated corpse of one of the crew, a large four-armed humanoid with an impressive set of pointy teeth. Tufag's team reaches what appears to be a huge non-functional warp drive. Seven says it appears its energy matrix was drained of power somehow. Seven picks up interesting readings nearby and without explanation tells them to follow her. As they pass through an especially dark and creepy part of the ship, Seven displays callous disregard for the apprehension Wildman is feeling. Given the huge gothic gargoyle-looking sculptures that are carved into the ceiling of the hallway they are passing through, her fear is understandable, but Seven will have none of it. Even the cool and calculating Vulcan Tuvok is taken aback by her almost robotic behavior. They enter a room that is filled with glowing suspended animation chambers. The aliens inside are formidable-looking. One of the chambers opens, and out comes a leader who says he does not speak to messengers in 
It orders them imperiously to bring their leaders to him or her. Not really clear at this point. Later, Janeway, Tuvok, and Seven are standing before the Ordai Nadar leader named Septa, who is sitting on a raised throne. Janeway recaps what she has been told. The Ordai on, a huge, on the huge craft have been traveling for 950 years. They are lost in the Delta Quadrant due to a warp drive malfunction and are trying to make their way home. Their warp drive needs repair. Seven says she can use Borg tech to repair the damaged drive, but will need an engineering team to take part in the work. Septa agrees to the repair plan and Janeway's proposal to trade supplies for her crew's aid with repairs. Having finished talking to them, Septa states its name loudly and strongly following its title, Grand Protagonist Magistrate of the Ordai Nadar. Silence follows until Janeway states her name and rank and position on Voyager. Seven follows, still using her Borg designation. Tuvok simply states his name. Later, Seven is working with an Ordai Nadar team of engineers on repairs and strikes up a particularly good relationship with one of them named Grebe. Grebe explains that their people consider their ship a narrative and their movement through the stars an odyssey, as in a story. There are no new stories, just new storytellers. To Seven's surprise, the Ordai Nadar people's thinking is extremely story-oriented. Grebe calls Seven a Khazar, which to Seven appears to be beings with two arms rather than forearms. Seven objects, saying she is Borg. It becomes obvious that there are at least two castes within the within the Ordai Nadar people, the workers with forearms like Grebe and the leadership and guard caste that have two arms. Grebe is saying Seven is more like the leadership caste and even calls Seven a protagonist, which is what the leader refers to herself as being, the grand protagonist magistrate. Day one ends and Seven is shown to separate sleeping quarters than Grebe and the other workers. The two-armed guard that shows her to her sleeping quarters warns her not to get too close to Grieve and the others. Their types write only one kind of story. Trouble. Later, Seven is sitting with Grebe during a meal break when she sees Grebe is not being given enough food. He is being starved. Grebe says they are being starved to get the supplies to trade to Voyager. Suddenly, the narrative shifts to one of Voyager's commissaries, where Harry Kim is accusing Seven of staring at her food and not listening to his story. Just as suddenly the narrative shifts back to the Ordai Nadar ship, where Grebe is speaking to his fellow workers, saying they are purposely being kept down and weak. The Khazar know that strong characters can write their own stories. Later, Seven witnesses the flogging of a worker, who is punished just for speaking out that the work he is doing requires radiation shielding and he needs just a little more food. Please, sir. Seven tells Grebe they must intervene, but Grebe says, not now. The story must develop. 
Later, Seven says she needs to bring Janeway into this. There must be a fundamental change to make life fair for the worker class. Grebe just, just utters the word, wait. Seven asks Grebe to tell the story of how the Ordai Nadar came to be in their current social situation. Grebe tells the story of a great warrior that united many warring factions and led an uprising that remade their world. Grebe calls this great two-armed protagonist the Dawnbringer, who ended one story and began a new one. Grebe says, as with all stories, that story will end and another one will begin. The question is, when? To be continued in issue two. So the Dawnbringer, I, I, I like that, uh, that character, or that story. Oh, <clears throat> right. So the, the particular Dawnbringer that led to the new story that the, uh, that the Ord Nadar are in now. Right. Right. Yep. And and I'll be honest, I did not notice that the, the Dawnbringer was two armed when I first read this. So, because he never right. says that it's a uh, Khazar, he just says a person, a great right. warrior, exactly. did this. And and I didn't even realize that uh, that uh, he's he's two armed and that he's slicing up four armed people. Exactly right, and and basically that Dawnbringer established the dominance. Of the two-armed people. Right. Over the four-armed people. Even though the four-armed people look like they're bigger and stronger and they got four arms. So in a fight, you'd think they'd be hard to beat by two-armed, smaller, skinnier two-armed people. Right. So it seems like the four-armed guys were in power. Then the Dawnbringer came. And then the power shifted to the two-armed people. And that's the way it is now. And uh, some of the two-armed people are kind of uh, not nice people. Right. I definitely did not get that out of this, this issue. But, oh, uh, okay. I think you're right. But, but well, looking we do, at we, these we, panels, that's what I see. Yeah. Well, uh, so I'm probably jumping. We're learning more about this in the second issue. I'm probably right. jumping ahead a little bit too much. You jumped a little bit. But, Sorry. but if you were paying attention, which I was not when I was reading this, uh, yeah. that is what it shows in those three little panels of the, the flashback of the Great Warrior story. Right. I just didn't notice it when I first read it, but now that I've read issue two, I now I'm in the know. I know what he's talking about now. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think about this whole thing that these uh, these aliens, their thinking is very st- story oriented? Uh, I liked it. Yeah. Definitely something different. Agreed. I mean, the whole thinking it threw me off at first. It's like, what what is he saying? What is Grebe saying here? And it's like, oh, well, okay, okay, I, I kind of get what they're what they're doing, but hmm. Well, even when the leader wakes up and she's like, "We will defeat the Dawnbringer with our greatest yes hubris." Yes, and I was just like, huh? <laughs> yeah, it made no sense. Right, and and quite frankly, even by the end, well, okay, by the time you right. get to the second issue. Then you go back to what she originally said. And by the way, it turns out she's a she, although it wasn't obvious at first. Right. Um, that, then you understand what Dawnbringer she's talking about when she jumps out of the, uh, the chamber. Right. But, but their greatest asset is hubris? 
I agree. That's weird. Right. That's, that's like what? That's hubris. That's hubris goes before the fall. That's not. A, that's not a. That's not an asset. Typically, not normally, and I still don't see how it fits into the story. But right, I am along for the ride. <laughs> Me too. Me too. But yeah, I, I really liked how they talked about the stories and mm-hmm. things like that. And um, yeah, it's just a different way of, you know, you, we've seen the warrior races. We've seen the scientific races. We've seen the junk races, the money races, you know, all these other races that, that you know, put a certain thing above all else. Mm-hmm. But we've never seen someone that just puts puts a, you know, built their whole society on telling stories. I thought it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Creativity. And I like the design too. The aliens looked pretty cool. Like I think like, the alien design is awesome. Lizard guys, but not like a one we've seen. They're kind of lizardish ish ish, but their color is Ben Grimm color or the thing. Right. And um and their heads and everything are like really broad. And I really like what Angel Hernandez has done with showing emotion, conveying human emotions, right, uh, through these fa- these very alien faces, right. So when Grebe is saying, uh, you know, wait, the story must develop. It's like the look on his face is like, oh, the wheels are turning in that guy's head. He's got yeah, something exactly. going on there. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, very, very, very good animation or drawing. Yeah, something we would not have gotten in the old show with a, a rubber mask on a, on a <laughs> Yeah, prosthetics. <laughs> exactly. Just a little bit of, you know, a little prosthetics glued here and there. Oh, original forehead. You're a new alien. Okay, thanks. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. The, the story that I kept thinking of when I was reading this mm-hmm. – um, Especially since, you know, they talk about this, the ship's been in space for 900 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it got me to thinking about um, that episode of Voyager where they come across the descendants of dinosaurs or something that came from Earth millions of years ago and are oh, now right. in the Delta Quadrant. Right. So at first I was like, are they going to say that these guys left Earth 900 years ago? And, you know, that's going to be the big twist is that uh, these are kind of the same thing as those dinosaur aliens because i'm not gonna like that right but uh but definitely that's not where they're going but i mean it was kind of the same thing right the alien the the dinosaur left earth before they became extinct and became a, a new sentient species in the delta quadrant mm-hmm. do, you, do you remember that episode i don't remember it not that my well. favorite i don't remember it that well i mean to be perfectly honest with you i enjoyed voyager but i was doing a lot of traveling around then so I saw most all the episodes, but I pretty much just many of the episodes I only saw once. Sure. So there's a lot of episodes I don't remember the details of them. Gotcha. And, yeah, no, I, that one was just trying to cash in on the Jurassic Park buzz or something. I even remember that the commercial <clears throat> was very Jurassic Parky, um, you know. And then you find out it's a Voyager episode coming up, you know, <laughs> on UPN. <laughs> Well, not only that, but that whole idea, even to the point that they were lizardy, the whole idea that there was a sentient species before humans on Earth, um, and then descended to the dinosaurs, 
so they were like lizardy kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole idea has been used many places before Voyager. Sure. So um, I forgot the name of the species, but that was a, a Doctor Who storyline. So one of the oh, aliens. The Salorians. Ah, that's it. Yeah, Salorians. There yeah. you go. I, I, and then the, I knew you'd the, know that. The Slee Stack from. Uh, oh, my God. The Slee the Stack. Land of the Lost. Land of the Lost. But that. Were they from Earth? I don't know. <laughs> but but yeah, th- those were aliens. They were on th- those Earth during, were... The, uh, during the prehistoric age. So oh, sure. right. Okay. Right, because the whole thing took place on Earth, right? I mean... Yeah, right. So, okay. Okay, well, whatever. And then the other one that did the same idea was uh, Space Above and Beyond, which was, was, which was a very cool series, short-lived. Some of the people that did X-Files did that series. But... Um, the big alien race that humanity is fighting against by the second or towards the, I think there was there only one season. I think there was only one season uh, towards the end. You found out, Oh, they're from earth too. <laughs> so it's like, Oh, Oh, okay. So, um, and they were, they were reptilian. Sure. So I think the idea was supposed to be, they were descended from dinosaurs. At the time, I was I, I thought that was just fantastic. I was watching that on because I really liked that show. I'm sorry mm-hmm. it didn't didn't stick around longer, but it was like I did not remember this the um, the the Doctor Who alien background. I did not remember yes. that, so it was like, oh, this is really cool. Ugh. And then <laughs> and then uh, no, it's an idea. People trot it out every once in a while. Right. I'll tell you the best uh, reptilian alien storyline. Is V. Ah, those those aliens when they you know rip, they look like humans and then they rip right. their face mask off and they're these uh, you know goofy looking uh, aliens. I right. liked it when I was a kid. Yes. That was a big reveal for me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yes. uh, so I have a soft spot for for that storyline. I don't think they were supposed to be from Earth, but uh, they definitely look like dinosaurs wearing human <sighs> faces. Right. I don't, I don't think they were supposed to be from Earth either. Um, yes, V for Visitor. Um, yeah, that, I, I like that. I was watching that series when it was first, the first run. Well, that was in the 70s, right? Uh, it was in the 80s. 80s? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So but also s- what was cool about it is, you know, the, the lead character played by Mark Singer. His, right. His, his name was Michael Donovan. Ooh, uh, that's a good name. <laughs> a good last name. Cool. Yeah, Mark Singer, who was... Uh, the Beastmaster. Beastmaster, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought he kind of looked like a Luke Skywalker. He had that... Uh, he has that Mark Hamill look to him. For whatever reason, I always... Uh, how interesting, as a kid, huh? As a kid, I always thought they kind of looked alike. I mean, now that you mention it, I can kind of see that. But I never connected those two. Right. Like I never connected uh, Winter Soldier, uh, Sebastian oh. Stan. But sure enough, yeah. you put the f- two, two photos next to uh, Mark Hamill and Sebastian Stan, and yeah, they, they do look alike, similar. Yeah, they do. Hmm. And I now we got, we got Mark Singer to stick him in there, too. <laughs> if, they needed a, if they needed another old, old Luke. <laughs> exactly, but a burlier one. Just, just one, one old Luke's not enough. Exactly. 
Now, I mean, this is off subject, but V I was really into. I mean, I even bought all the the novels and stuff. They oh had boy, spinoff novels. Okay. They had they had the novel of the miniseries, and then they had spinoff novels. And DC Comics had a had a comic book run. Oh, okay. I was into it just like I, I got into Star Trek and Star Wars. V was was up there with me when I was a kid. Oh, cool. Yeah, I I liked it. I wasn't I wasn't that into it, but I liked it. Sure. Yeah, that's what most people say. Yeah. About everything I get into. Yeah, I like it, but uh, I'm obviously not in, I, as into it as you are. I didn't become obsessed with it. So I'm going to step it. out of this conversation. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I want to tell you more about when the prosthetics were ripped off and the, and the lizard face was underneath. <laughs> and they ate the rat. Oh, right, right. That brunette lady? Yeah. Is that the first one we saw? Eat the yeah. rat? yeah. Diana, that was her character's name. I don't remember who the actress was. Okay. So anyways, you want to Back talk to about this. this comic book? Yeah, could we? <laughs> yeah. So what did you think about that first page? Oh, let me look at the first page. With the uh, the knocked out Tuvok and Janeway, oh, right. and then Seven of Nine shows up? Yeah, I thought the whole thing was kind of uh, quick. Yeah, like what, quick, what the heck quick, going on? Quick, quick, quick setup. Just reminding you about Seven's origin. And I do not remember the details of that either, um, of that episode. But I, so there was a point where Tuvok and Janeway were like roughed up by Seven? See, I don't think so. I, okay. That's what I don't understand what this first page is. Okay, okay. Cause, I, uh, I don't remember that happening. But. Yeah, I don't either. And if you look at it, things just seem off. Like the doctor, he's completely bald. He doesn't have his well, uh, side hair. Or anything. I, I, he, you know, when I first looked at, it, I thought he was the doctor, but he, but that, but then by the end, I came to the conclusion that's not the doctor. That's just it's some just, other dude. Just, just some, some, uh, yeah, just some medic guy. So they got Lex Luthor to be the medic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So he doesn't have the donut around the back of his head, the hair donut. Yeah. Um, well, because when Seven came on, Kess was still the nurse, so that's why I think that this is ah, not so a it's... flashback to that. Right. So, okay, okay. So maybe this is a flash forward. A flash or, forward. Or a flash sideways. I don't know. I don't know, but it, it's... The whole thing is really kind of weird. I think... Right. Because I'm not, sh- I, I'm not 100% sure that there isn't something more going on here. Or maybe I'm just reading more into it. Okay, so there, I, I don't know which page this was on, but there is a page where um, all of a sudden... Bam! You, you're you're on the you're on the alien ship, and then all of a sudden, bang! Seven is having lunch with Harry, right? Yeah, and and Harry is saying something about Seven. Are you even listening? And then he says, "You've been staring at your f- food through my entire story." And it's like, oh, story. And He's telling are a all story. Obsessed with stories. Yeah, right. And then and then then the next panel. And really, the Harry Kim thing just is kind of like an insert kind of thing. It's kind of like overlaid, sort of, over the other panels, sort of. And then the next one, we're back on the ship with Grebe uh, talking to other uh, others of his kind. And right. I was like, wait a minute. Is this whole thing a Harry Kim story that he's telling Seven over lunch? The whole thing. The whole thing, I'm saying. But then it's like, well, probably not. It's just... Yeah, I think, I think it's just a weird cut that they yeah. go from... Seven having lunch with Greb, and then suddenly she's having lunch dinner with, with Harry. Uh, Harry, or but she's not Sumnil. paying attention. 
Right, right. Some, and then at the same time, Greb's like planning his rebellion with the other exactly with the other horns. Right. So it's okay. So obviously, these three panels that are all together uh, are taking place over an extended period of time. But right. it's like it's almost like whoa, what? Huh? Yeah, it was. It was huh? a hard cut that I was. I was curious about too. Right. And that first page, which just seems to be out of nowhere. Well, and, yeah, and so... not to spoil it, but the all the issues start this way, and they're all slightly different. Telling exactly. The story. Ex- yeah. So let's let's talk about that next. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I. So that, but that's a good point. So there's there's another that's another situation where they're bringing something up in the comic that's like what 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 I mean what <laughs> what. Why, why are they going back to that again? And things are a little different now? Your voyage... Well, we'll talk about it then. Right. But tricorders... I'm surprised tricorders give you bad readings at first. And right. then you do it again and your your tricord, medical tricorder gives you totally different readings. I find that unusual, but whatever. And then um, I really liked how it had the, uh, you know, the big splash page of Voyager and with the with the credits and stuff as if it was you know a tv show and we're now watching the uh the title card and all that stuff I, yes n- a nice hark back to old the way old comic books were when they were trying to simulate the, the tv shows that they're basing it on i loved it yes and uh voyager looks fantastic and uh issue two also has a two-pager showing yeah. voyager looking a beauty shot of voyager um, right yeah all, love that all, design. Four, all four of them do that yeah I liked a lot. Right. Voyager is a very cool design. Very weird. But, uh, it's not my It's favorite. weird, but it's cool. I mean, it is. I mean, I, I think it really shows the advancing uh, of ship design um, w- when it came out. Smaller nacelles, you know, the, uh, the saucer section integrated with the secondary hull, uh, you know, eliminate that neck, which is uh, a weakness. Right. Uh, in structurally speaking and engineering speaking, I I like it. Um, anyway, yeah, I didn't like the moving parts though. I, I never uh, was a fan of the nacelles. That was glit. That, that that just totally reminded me of like uh, Top Gun and you know those uh, Tomcats, those F six F sixteen F fourteen F fourteen Tomcats jets when when they go into like turbo mode or something. Like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so the wings change position depending upon what you're doing yeah you know so it was totally reminding me of something like that it's like really do you need that i I wasn't crazy about that either but yeah i I do like the in in universe explanation that the expanded media gave it which was you know it was the uh the way for them to you know stop that whole tearing of subspace that was in that one episode of next generation where they were gonna have to stop using warp soon (sighs) yeah so that was like the last season of of TNG or something. Yeah. They brought so I that thought it was kind of cool that they acknowledged that that's the reason why these work nacelles are different than the other ones. Yeah, because at least they gave a reason. Yeah. Other than, Hey, that's cool. We'd never seen that before. I will say the first time I saw it do that in the opening credits, the first, in the first, uh, first episode, it was like, Oh, cool. I, I never saw that before. I, I you know, it was a cool factor, but then it's like, don't think about it too much. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of uh, unnecessary machine movement. That's why I, the <laughs> Star Trek Insurrection, mm-hmm. to me, that's just like when that 
ship or I don't know what it was. What was it? The satellite or something was all like transforming in something that for was no Shinzon's. reason. Sh- no, well, Sh- no, there Shinzon was... was a nemesis. No, I'm talking about insurrection when they were going. Oh, to, insurrection. Okay. You know, relocate the Baku and all that stuff, and they had. Well, that, they were harvesting. Yeah, but it was the stupid, fountain of it youth was a rays. Stupid or something. machine that had a billion moving parts to it, and it was well, just like. Yeah, and just, they, and so so you cool, didn't but, like it when Shinzon's ship did this very similar kind of thing in the next movie. Well, it was. It didn't do the exact same thing. What? Similar. I mean, I thought it was. It's more got. It, it, no, no. Sin, yeah, Sin, Shinzon's big, overly weaponized uh, ship, the, the the whispery thin wings that came out of the side, it would, from the two wings, it would deploy like, I don't know, another four or so different oh, yeah, yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it was all flat, and then it would deploy almost like petals on a... On a flower yeah, or something. Like no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So that and, that and then that was the big that was the big uh, weapon thing, Shinzon weapon thing. Anyway, yeah, it just takes w- one loose bolt somewhere <laughs> that keeps one of those wings from popping the way it's supposed to, and then you suddenly don't have a weapon anymore. Exactly. And not only that, they're whisper thin. I mean, those Shinzon. That those two wings, it looks really thin. And then when it deployed, all those other bits of the wing that that deployed, they were all whisper thin. It seems like it'd be easy to blast them or something. I don't know. Right. Whatever. You think Shinzon will make an appearance in Picard? I have heard that. I've heard about that possibility, but why? Really? Really? He blew up though, so I mean, exactly. That'd be, so that'd they'd, be hard they'd have to explain, explain that. Right. Yeah. Now they just. Bring Q back, great. Let's let's and you'll you'll go ahead and say some really quick little thing about well, why does Q look so old uh, if he's eternal? And you'll explain that, and then we'll just get on with a, an interesting Q thing. Yeah, but it is supposed to be about time travel, so maybe uh, maybe they'll go back to Nemesis. It'll be before he blew up. <sighs> maybe. Oh, so are you suggesting that they're going to pay for Tom Hardy to come on? <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. <laughs> that would be pricey. Yeah, he's a he's a big star right now. And why would you go back to that? I mean, wasn't wasn't Nemesis one of the lowest box office uh, movies they made? Anyway. Or maybe they're just going to go back to when uh, Patrick Stewart's Picard looked just like Tom Hardy. Because uh, that's a thing. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. But uh, I think, doesn't Q have the ability to turn Pinocchio Picard into a little boy again, a human again? How's that? What's going to happen never, with that? He never did it to Data, but uh, he could. He could have. Well, at least his buddy Picard, one of his best friends, uh, you know, used to be a human, you know. Here you go. Yeah. Ping, you're back in a human body. And oh, I made you 25 again. <laughs> and you look just like Bane. For no reason. <laughs> just like Bane. Without the mask. Yeah. Um, but back to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure that the grand protagonist was a man or a woman. But then there, 
there is in this issue a one particular panel where it's wearing kind of a diaphanous kind of uh, plunging neckline, and it's right. kind of like got breasts, kind of sort right. of. I'm, I, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. No, it's this one too. Is it this one? Okay. Yeah, when she's sitting on her throne talking to uh, Janeway. Okay. Okay. Anyway. So, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, but, I, I wasn't uh, sure at first either, but I, I definitely think she's a, a, a woman. Right. I, I think it's actually issue two where they where Grebe actually refers to Septa as she. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, right. So the panel I'm talking about is in issue one, but in issue two, Grebe actually refers to her Septa as a she. Okay. So that's that's where the issue two comes in. Right. So yeah, but, I'll be honest, I didn't catch that uh, some were two-handed and some were four-handed. Even when mm-hmm. Greb is like, look at your hands, and she's looking at her hands. And, right. And I was just like, well, what's, what is, what's he talking about? And I had to go back and look at the previous uh, pages and like, oh, the other ones don't have four arms. Right. Interesting. Well, one thing that's kind of cool about this issue is uh, the writing. It doesn't necessarily... Sp- it, it lays some interesting things at you that you may not necessarily notice unless you're paying attention. And, you know, and it, and it, there's enough complexity going on here that everything isn't like, Oh, another alien of the week. And I know exactly what's going to happen and blah, 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 blah. So they've got multiple bits of narrative in here and, and, and drawing and stuff where, yeah, you got to kind of, and the good thing about when you, when you're doing a synopsis, you're going back multiple times so you can notice things more, more, or you're more likely to notice things. Right. So that was useful on this one. This isn't just a quick read. Let me just say that. Right. No, I agree. Like a lot of comic books. It's just quick read. You know, this is the same pattern we've seen a thousand times before. No problem. And, you know, you can get through it pretty quickly. This one you have to, uh, you know, stop or go slower a little bit. Right. Yeah, and it took me a while to figure out what was going on with the uh, the traitor that's being uh, tortured or mm-hmm. or whatever. Because, right. I mean, it comes right off the next page after Grebe is saying these exact same things. Mm-hmm. And then you turn the page, and then now she's watching somebody being tortured. And at first I thought it, it was Grebe. Yeah. But then he's standing behind her saying, you know we got to bide our time or whatever. And then I was like, oh. so it's not just him. Everybody, everybody thinks this, that, you know, that they need more food and they need more rations. I mean, yeah. uh, radiation shielding. Well, uh, the guy being tortured could be somebody that, um, that was part of the audience. Yeah. You know, Grebe as Grebe is talking. Right. He Possible. just got, he got overheard or something. Uh, or he, he actually him. said something. <laughs> Where Grebe is being cautious and everything and only talking to other uh, forearm guys. Uh, this other guy, you know, he's not watching himself as much. Right. And got caught. All right. I don't have anything else for this issue. Do I, I don't I don't have too much left. I just I'm just going to just go off into one of my favorites uh, talking about phasers. So the landing party that goes across to the the big ship at the beginning, uh, Chakotay's team, every one of them are armed with phaser compression rifles. Uh, and, and I'm not quite sure what compression, what is compression-y about these Voyager-specific rifles. 
So, uh, but so, but these are kind of big. I mean, for a Star Trek rifle, these are kind of big. I think these are even maybe even a little longer than the ones they used in First Contact, uh, the movie, next gen movie. Right. Um, but you know, how often do you see a landing party? Everybody having rifles? Almost never. Right. But everybody, all five people, have phaser rifles. Which, if I was going to go across to, you know, an unknown huge ship, I would be okay with a rifle, too. But you just never see it in Star Trek, typically. Right. right. Yeah, one of the things I would also beam over with is uh, an environmental suit. Because, oh, good point. Especially if this ship is diverting all power to its in- engines why would right. it have air throughout the ship because well, it's a massive ship i completely i agree with and you and everybody's in cryo <clears throat> stasis so exactly why right. on earth is the uh inside you know pressurized with with good. air that's a very good point that's a very good point why waste that the seem- power yeah it seems like a waste yeah and and since the since the engines weren't running or the or the uh the warp engines anyway Right. It seemed later on we'll find out a little bit more detail about this in issue two, but it seems like uh, power is an issue, right? It's not. They, they're going to be. They think they're going to be going for a while at their current velocity. Um, so there is an issue. Power is not infinite. So why, indeed, why would you be running the uh, life support? Right. Yeah, good point. I mean, I guess except for that. That pilot that was alive for you know a few years after they all went to sleep. Right. So that body they found at first. Right. The forearmed body. So they entrust the flying of the ship to the worker class. Um, I guess. Good point. I mean, what else was he? Would he do? Crash it? Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, but I mean, whatever. Yeah, when they explain his story in the next one, I I still have my uh, doubts on his motivation. Just it doesn't make sense. I'm with you. It it doesn't make sense why you would let someone that's a a repressed person watch over you while you sleep. Exactly. It's <laughs> like, like, it's like I'm the gonna... sheriff's not sleeping in there in the cell with the criminal, you know, for a reason. Exactly. Right. Okay. So anyway, um. A quick thing about the Voyager, I just want to say that the Voyager phaser rifle is the BFG of Star Trek. It's I think it's the biggest phaser rifle ever. It's bigger than the, the Taz one? Because that's... Oh, gigantic. probably. Well, it's longer, I think. Huh. But, I mean, who who knows? I mean, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about that. I um, assume you had both of them. Well, I don't have the Voyager one. And mm-hmm. actually, just you don't have it yet. <laughs> I'm not. I don't like that design. I'm not going to spend my money on that. Uh, okay. And just eyeballing the Taz phaser rifle with the um, with the uh, first contact rifle, which I always like the con- the first contact rifle. They're uh, they're about the same length. Mm. I'd have to take a, a I have to get a, a measuring. Uh, tape measure out to to tell the, if there's you know what the difference is. Gotcha. I much much prefer the uh, Picard TV show phaser rifles. Make a lot more sense. I mean, why do you need such a long thing? I mean, 
This is not a bullet going through a rifled barrel where the longer the barrel, you know, the straighter the bullet will fly and there's more, I guess, the explosion of the cartridge. Uh, you get more velocity out of it when you have the longer barrel. Um, these are energy weapons. I mean, why, why is it so big? Why is it so long? Right. Um, I, the, the, the two phaser rifles that uh, Seven was using in Picard when she went back to mete out justice at that casino oh. or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, those were, t- what a great design. Love them. Love <laughs> those. Love those phaser rifles. Have they made props of those yet? Oh, yes. Of course I have one. Oh, you have one. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And that's the only thing I'll say good about the uh, TNG TV show and Deep Space Nine ugly rifles that they had. That looked like really big extended hand phasers. Oh, yeah. The ones with the dust buster at the end. Exactly. And then yeah, the, two, the two handles. It's right. like, oh, my God. Okay. It, it, it's not incredibly long. Good. Because you don't need it that long. But it's like, God, it, ugly, 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 ugly. <laughs> anyway, moving along. So, uh, uh, what do you think about all the forced humor, or uh, I guess they're trying to make humor, um, but Seven keeps commenting on it here in the in the beginning with Chicote and Wildman making jokes, or and, not jokes, but, you know, trying to break the tension with comments, and Seven's uh-huh. like, I don't, I don't like humor, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh. Um, I mean, where do you, I mean, well, and, and it happens in the next issue, too, it's just, I don't know where they're going with that. It's, I mean, is that something she complained about in the show too? Um, the, the coldness of of um, seven is is that what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, I don't know, or just calling them out on, uh, you know, you shouldn't make jokes. You shouldn't, you know. Oh, uh, being a little bit too stick up the butt, right? Little, little too stuffy. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think they're just trying to underscore is that, you know, a few weeks ago she was a Borg and she hasn't gotten her humanity back yet. So I think I think they're just trying to underscore that. And she even refers to herself as her Borg designation. Right. You know, when yes. she introduces herself. So she's still in Borg mode, even though she's been de-Borgified as far as the number of thing mechanisms and electronics stuck into her body. She still has not been on that journey towards her humanity yet right but i do like how tuvok's agreeing with her on everything and then wildman is the one that says you know you two are peas in a pod or yes something like that. exactly right and they both like <laughs> look at each other like am i are we <laughs> we hadn't noticed uh, yeah yeah well cold emotionless robotic you would you might say um Yeah, I, and I like seeing Wildman in it, you know, other than just being, yeah. uh, being what's-her-face's mom. She exactly. Actually uh, has a purpose on the away I, team. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad they stuck her in there. Right. That's great. Um, another thing that was really, I'm not, I, I'm not quite sure how to take it. You know that bit of, I don't know, bit of fluff where Captain Janeway is kind of not quite sure about her new haircut? <laughs> yeah, and then Tuvok is like trying his best to say the pre- proper thing, right? Um, I was like, you know, that serves the story in no possible way. 
in this particular story. Yeah, but story. It's, it's banter that you would have seen in the old show well, with, with yeah. between them two. It's a, it, and, and because of that, and because they're, like, furthering the characters a bit, you know, I guess that's cool. It just struck me as a little odd. Now, I liked it because she did go through a drastic hair change and uh, – <laughs> You know, you can't you can't fill any time on the show with it, but you but you yeah, kept it, track of that, Donovan. You would have uh, you would have uh, commented to your friends about it. You know, hey, I, I do you like my haircut? You know, <laughs> and he's supposed to be her oldest friend, so I could see why she would talk to him about it. Okay, so you you mentioned this time period was was around the beginning of the fifth season. Is that right? Uh, actually, probably the fourth season. Okay, fourth season. Yeah. So you actually remember in the show. Kate Mulgrew got a new hairstyle. Oh, yeah, because she used to have that big bun thing. You know, right. she had, that, she yeah, had long yeah. hair in the first several seasons, and then all of a sudden she had shoulder-length hair, or okay. right, right under, you know, okay. just I, head. I, I, I didn't notice remember? any of that. Mm. No, no, you, now that you bring it up, yes, yeah, okay, granted. Okay, so there's an example where the writer of the story is, show, is flexing his uh, fan muscles, fanboy muscles. Right, and saying and let's go it... ahead and insert something in here that acknowledges something that many people would not have even noticed. I know I didn't notice. And it's acknowledging something that could have happened just off screen, right? You know, yeah, you can't, didn't can't put it in the show, but it did happen, and, okay. and this was it. I liked it. I thought it was funny. Okay, cool. I mean, it only it took up two pages, or okay. not even quite two pages. So two pages? No, was it that a long? Pa- yeah, it was a page, and then a little bit of the top. Oh my god! Okay. Of the next. Okay, well, that's a little better justification. Okay, I didn't realize, I did not remember any of that from the show going into this. So it's like, okay, so they're acknowledging something that actually did happen. Janeway got a new hairstyle. Okay, great. Okay, great. Well, here's one of the things that they brought up on this episode. Mm-hmm. It's not really this episode, but it's the cover, the 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 retail exclusive cover mm-hmm. with the Raven. Yeah, what's that about? Well, there's an episode of uh, Voyager mm-hmm. where um, it's called The Raven, and and uh, Seven of Nine is having repressed memories coming back, and, and they're manifesting themselves in these hallucinations of a raven. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then that got me thinking, you know, if, if they already did an episode where, you know, what she did as a Borg was manifesting itself in this hallucination of a raven, and then this... This series is called Seven's Reckoning, mm-hmm. which then makes me still think that somehow it's going to tie in with her, with her feeling guilt or something about what she did as a Borg. Ah, okay, okay, cool. But I mean, we, I'm glad you brought of, that up. As of issue two, I didn't see any Raven things, so no, I, I might be stretching it here. But I was just wondering. If that's where they were going to go with that, uh, with that reference to the Raven. Hmm. There's also a book called Seven of Nine by Christy Golden, which which has a Raven on the cover. I've never read it, but I assume that it has uh, a similar storyline with um, with this hallucination of a Raven being, uh, you know, what she did as a Borg, always hanging over her kind of thing. Okay, so this looks like almost like. A Native American style. It does, yeah. Of drawing. And so... Okay. I, I don't remember any of that. 
Okay, so she's having... So, so that's supposed to be Seven as the Borg, taking a bite out of Voyager. Is that what, what? That's what that's supposed to be? Yeah, I don't know. Inside of a, a Borg um, regeneration... Chamber? Arc. Oh, I mean, that's what that, that's is that what, what that, that's supposed to be? Yeah, that's what the... That circle? Is. Yeah. The, huh. That little uh, halo that's over right, her head. Right, 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 right. Okay. Interesting. I did not recognize that on the cover. Uh, as, as being a regeneration chamber part, but now that you mention it, yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, that's it. That's all I have to say. All right. Cool. Then let's move on to issue number two. Came out December of 2020. Uh, it has three covers. The first cover is by Angel Hernandez, and it shows Grebe at the foreground, and then behind him is Seven of Nine with uh, a giant phaser rifle in her arms. And then the second cover is just a stock photo of uh, Kate Mulgrew as Captain Janeway with her short hair that uh, Ken doesn't remember her having. The retail incentive cover is by Jeffrey Vergi, and um, it's, a, it's really odd. It has Seven of Nine on a planet with a couple of other people standing next to a giant orange totem that looks like he's has three arms not four and then we see uh enterprise oops we see voyager in in space above him, above him so i don't know what that's supposed to be and it's not in the issue so it's Maybe definitely it's, it's definitely a totem pole but right what is supposed to symbolize good question so again kind of a native american reference mm-hmm. you know like you said the the raven looked like it was native american inspired mm-hmm. So does the totem pole. So, yeah, uh, definitely makes me want to look at the other retail inclus- uh, ex- retail covers for the other issues. But we'll wait till next week. All right, go on to the story. Uh, oh, actually, the, this one has a title too. It's called "Concrete and Iron Are No Match for Flesh and Bone." All the writing and art staff is the same as the first issue. So similar to issue number one, the story starts off with a single page, um, and it shows Tuvok and Janeway being knocked out, and then the crew is running up to scan them. Uh, And this time when the Borg version of Seven arrives, she says, resistance is futile. So uh, then we go back to the main story. Seven is beaming back to Voyager from working a shift at the uh, alien spaceship. She gives a brief report to Tuvok before heading to her regeneration alcove. But instead of plugging herself in, she sits on the floor and puts her hands, she puts her head down into her hands. Later, Seven is back on the ship, helping with the repairs of the warp drive. She sees a religious performance for the pilot that was found dead in the first issue. Her new friend Grebe tells her that the pilot did not want to die hooked up and being used as a living battery while he was in cryosleep. He said that he would rather die seeing his attacker than dying while asleep. After hearing these type of stories, Seven is starting to side with the repressed Vesh. Grebe tells his fellow four-armed Vesh and starts to plant the seeds of a rebellion. And he says that the Outworlders will be on their side. Behind his back, the Vesh do not see him as the next Dawnbringer. 
uh, and they think that uh, they will always be under the Khazar's thumb. Later, Seven returns to Voyager, and this time she's greeted by Henry Kim, who lets her know that he's always there as a friend if she ever needs to talk. She declines his offer, and when he leaves, he reports to Commander Tuvok and informs him that he did not get any new information about her odd behavior. Later, Seven undergoes a medical scan from the doctor. He finds nothing wrong, and she tells him that his sense of humor is the most distasteful of all the crew. Seven then reports to Janeway, who tells her that she's concerned about her health. She's still adjusting to life on Voyager after being aboard for so long, and perhaps she needs to stop going over to the alien ship. Seven states that she is in no danger and is then allowed to return to the ship. Once on the alien craft, she is taken to the Queen instead of to the warp core. Here, the Queen tells her that she knows that the Vern are telling her how bad the Gazar treat them. She then gives a history lesson to the former Borg, uh, and this story is slightly different than the one that she's heard before. So it seems that the Vern were once the ruling class and that somehow the Vern release a chemical that increases the lifespan of the Khazar by hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, she then tells Seven to tell the Vern that any riots or rebellion can only end in pain. Once dismissed, Seven returns to Greb and tells him that the Queen knows of his rebellion. And to that, he simply says, good. To be continued. Boy, this Grebe is quite the planner, isn't he? He's just, he's just letting, he's just hanging back and letting things go. Because uh, he's just got some plan going. And waiting until all the feast, all the pieces fall into place, right? Amazing. I mean, he knows that Septa knows that he's planning an uprising, uh, but Grieve is like, eh, "I'm cool, no problem." Very odd, right? Um, yeah. So, well. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of revelations happening that don't really make a lot of sense. Like the idea that the Vesh are some kind of fountain of youth to the Khazar. Right. What's that about? Really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she says that, you know, the ship's been in in space for 900-something years. And yeah. that on, only very recently where they did they put themselves in cryosleep. The other 900-something years, they, they've been living life like normal in real time which was kind of a surprise to me. Right. And, and I'm not quite sure. So is the Vesh also long-lived, or do they go through many, many generations and the Khazar just stay alive forever? Great like question. That is a great question. Because they didn't say anything about the Khazar being fountains of youth for the Vesh. Right. Or that uh, they live long all on their own. They just, right. She just says they have some sort of pheromone or chemical that causes <sighs> the Khazar to live forever. And they... They look close enough to each other, looks-wise, right. um, that they seem like they probably should have evolved on the same planet, the same world. Right. Yet, two of them... The Vesh have two arms and the Khazar... Or not, no, the Vesh have four arms and the Khazar only have two. 
the Kassar right. are physically smaller um, than the Vesh. And right. the Vesh are some kind of fountain in youth to the Kazar. I mean, does any of this make sense that they both evolved on the same planet? Well, if we think that Dracula could be real, then yeah, because the vampires well, and the humans both yeah. existed together and one fed off the other one for a long okay. life. Okay. I, I'm really getting, okay. you know, a, You're getting true, a vampire true blood here. vampire type thing out of this <laughs> where they're just like, this is a race of vampires that, uh, you know, are, are feeding off the, the cattle, basically. Yeah, right. Okay. Feeding off the cattle, just like in Blade and whatever. Right. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's a thing that's been used before, but... Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where they're going to go with it, but that's that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. It, but it was interesting that uh, now we know for sure that the Dawnbringer was, was uh, a Khazar that overthrew mm-hmm. the Vesh. Right. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting that even though Greb is telling them, hey, we need to rebel and stuff, but behind his back, all his, his fellow people are just like, eh, he's he's no Dawnbringer, and we're, exactly. we're, we're fine being under the thumb of... Uh, right. Not design. everybody's on the same page right. in Veshland. Yes. So I don't know if that's going to go anywhere, but, but I did think it was weird because he says... We've always been under the Kazar, and we always will be. You know yeah. that, that that's basically what the other guy says right. uh, behind uh, behind Greb's back. Yeah, which is not historically correct, as we know. Yeah, yeah. But do they not all? Yeah, do those, is it is possible? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my. That was what I was going to. Some say. of the Vesh don't know real history, or they don't right. care. Right. This is the situation they're in. They're not interested in the previous uh, narrative. Um. Okay. There you go. Yeah, and it's all you know. If you go with it's all story driven, then yeah, could you change the story, and would that change your history? Right. Hmm. You know, nineteen eighty four style, where you know we've oh. always been at war with them. Right. You know that kind of thing. Right. Again, since we don't know how it ends, it just you just keep coming up with other other things that they might be alluding to. Right. And it's not, not as straightforward as, as either side thinks. No. Talking about not straightforward or kind of odd things happening, um, that interaction between Seven and the Doctor. And by the way, now we see the Doctor in this issue. Right. And he's definitely drawn correctly. He looks like the actor. And so he is definitely not the guy with the tricorder. Uh, standing over Tuvok and uh, Janeway's uh, unconscious bodies. Right. So we we know that. Okay, fine. May, may, when did uh, the doctor get his uh, hot, portable hollow emitter? Yeah, I don't know. That's what I was wondering. I, yeah. don't, I don't remember. So he may, he may not have been at that point yet in in season four. Uh, but um, but <laughs> Seven just comes right out and says, I have a deep t- distaste for your sense of humor above all others. Right. Which is like, then, wow, that's pretty forward. And then the doctor is like, uh, there's like three panels where he's obviously figuring out how to deal with what she just said. And then he ends up saying, that makes sense for you? Right. Okay. Oh, because you're a 
bore, a, a, pro, a previous Borg, it makes sense that you have distaste for my programmed sense of humor because he, he's a program. Right. Um, Essentially. I just, I just find that very weird. It's just a very weird interaction. Agreed. Right. And it, and it kind of goes along with that first issue where she has those weird interactions with Chakotay and Wildman talking mm. about their sense of humors. Right. And, uh, and it just yeah. got me wondering, because, I mean, he makes these kind of jokes with her throughout the series. And mm-hmm. After these issues, she must not have a problem with it because she never says anything on the show when he, you know, makes the within operational parameters, yeah. you know, kind of jabs yeah. later. Not really well, jabs, jab but, um, just... but just kind of a comment. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, it's not going to change the Doctor's character going forward. Whatever no. happens in this issue, it's not going to have any bearing on the show that's already happened, you know? So. Right. <laughs> Just wondering if, if at the end of this four issue, she's going to be more okay with humans, you know, with a little bit of levity. Right. Not just humans. Obviously, uh, computer programs, too. <laughs> that are impersonating humans. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, one of my favorite uh, favorite uh, scenes that happened in a book was when uh, it was one of those Shatner books that he wrote. Okay. With, with the with those two people. Yeah, with Avenger, not Avenger. I don't remember what which it? one it was, but but it had <sighs> the it had the Doctor in it, and he says, you know, something like, "I'm a I'm a Doctor, not something." And then come to find out that one of the programs that was in there was McCoy's personality. Right, but okay. I mean, that was that established in the uh, in the TV show that uh, that McCoy was in there. That, or Mc, I mean, that Mc, McCoy was McCoy was one of like, the Starfleet doctors that was was one of the contri- contributing um, personalities that went into creating the doctor. I I didn't catch it if they ever said it. Well, maybe they just insinuated it, right? Because when they explained what he was. Uh, he was the combination of multiple of the uh, best doctors that Starfleet ever had. Right. And then I think he ended up saying something in the early days that was a very definite McCoyism. Mm. So maybe it was just maybe it was just hinted at. Maybe they didn't actually say it. Well, it went over my head then because yeah. uh, I didn't I didn't catch it until that book really right. spelled it out to me. Right. And I was just like, oh, that's so cool because he was still around. <laughs> yeah yeah bit old 135 year old or whatever um mccoy however old he was right i'll have to look that up to find out if if the doctor ever makes a reference to mccoy cool but, um, uh, go ahead uh, again on this issue i thought it was an odd interaction between harry and uh, and seven. So when Harry was saying, "Hey, anytime you want to talk to anybody, you know, blah, 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 and it's like, what is this with Harry again? And then uh, I mean, what is it, does he find her seven hot? Is that what he's doing? She finds her attractive or something? And then we see on the next page, it was Tuvok that got Harry to do it. So right. that was weird at first. That was another weird interaction that I was not expecting, but. Then it was explained. So everybody, right. everybody's concerned over um, Seven. 
They know something's going on with her. Right. Well, and, and that's also my problem with Janeway's interaction with her, too, yeah. is that, um, you know, Janeway even says, we really need these supplies, but has Seven not said anything about, you know, these people are now starving because you want your supplies from letting me help them, you know, fix their ship? Because mm-hmm. I don't think she would uh, she would take the supplies if she knew that it was causing... You yeah, know, causing the 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 leading class to starve the working class. I completely agree. And by yeah. the way, talk about manufacturing scarcity where there shouldn't be any. I mean, come on, you've got replicators, you've got endless power supplies. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, that, that whole thing they made in uh, in Voyager, the TV show, where they had Neelix as the cook, and they would have to go out and, and get real food and cook it. It's right. like, uh, it just all seemed like such garbage. It's like when they got, when they apparently finally got stopped talking about the, uh, the parts of the ship that were actually living. Oh, the biogel or whatever. Bi- exactly. Was. Whatever that stuff was. It's like, Oh, <laughs> that, that's a problem too, because we can end up, uh, it can get a cold. The biogel can get a cold. Right. So, okay. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I liked about Enterprise yeah. um, that my wife absolutely hates is that, you know, when they were stuck in the Zindi space, okay. yeah. you know, they had to actually kind of do some morally questionable things in order to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to steal somebody else's warp drive and things like oh, that. Oh, right. Which, yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah, yeah. I agree is a horrible thing to do, but it was that or, you know, not complete their mission, which was to save Earth from being destroyed by the Zindi. It's really so, important. Right. So it's not like they did it just to, you know, we want a new warp drive, ER, you know, that kind of thing. You know, they were they were doing it in order to save lives, um, which, you know, is does the end justify the means? You know, the, it yeah. brought in all those questionable things, which That's, I thought was really good. That is really good. I completely and, agree. But it's something that Voyager never really dealt with. And you would think that them more than it more than Enterprise would have had to deal with something like that because you would think. But but wasn't it the um there was an episode, maybe it was it was a two parter, where they came upon a, a sister ship. Right. Um and I forgot the name of the sister ship. But it was it the was Equinox? Equinox. Equinox? Yeah, it's like like the uh, the Arrowhead kind of uh, right primary yeah. hall. Right. I mean, it was that crew and that captain that made those kind of bad choices, right? Right. And that was part of the whole thing. Janeway and company didn't make those kind of choices, but that other crew did. Right. And I don't necessarily mean doing piratey stuff i just remember I just, <laughs> i'm talking more of cobbling the ship together right so i oh. mean if you're thinking that you don't have a star base you can go to to get hole plating the exact same shade as the mm-hmm. rest of your ship so i right. would think that as you're taking damage uh as you're losing crew members right that yeah. you would have to you know supplement your crew and supplement your ship with parts that are native to where you're at which they never do in well, the show. They did a little be- bit. I mean, they got Neelix, and they had t- yeah. Cass. I mean, as far as crew is concerned, 
And they got but seven as far as ship, it, seven of nine, another example. <laughs> and of course, the beginning, the entire um, the I mean, Chakotay uh, right. and the Maquis, the Maquis people. I mean, they had to absorb them because the Voyager lost a lot of crew in the original transition. But that whole thing about the ship, yeah, the ship always seemed to be shiny, clean, and working. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. they were and they were able to build uh, the Delta the the Delta Flyer, exactly. I mean, from scratch. I mean, well, uh, scratch, but I mean, a whole a whole new sh- class of shuttle, right? So they had industrial replicators and apparently a lot of stuff on that ship, but they couldn't make enough food. I right. They, yeah, they, I'm they, with you. <sighs> yeah. Plus, from Discovery, we know that the replicator just replicates their poop into food so <laughs> exactly and if you're really hard up just go to some planet that has lots of large mammals and just go and get some food <laughs> just go go <laughs> collect poop <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they just go beam up a whole bunch of poop instead of the cows exactly uh, we don't need the cows we don't need beef we need Ooh, their poop to look, make they've got woolly mammoths here we're styling. <laughs> Just find the piles. Uh, that's gross. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's very gross. Anyway. Mm. So that first page, you want to, can we talk about that real quick? Yeah, let's talk about that. All right. So, uh, yeah, so it seemed like it was the exact same scene, except mm-hmm. instead of Seven saying uh, whatever she said in the first one, this time she says... Resistance is futile. Yeah, I think she says something like, drop your weapons or something. Lower the shields or something like that, right? Drop your weapons or something, I think she said the first time. And now resistance is futile. And now the bald guy that's not the doctor says, oh, the scans are off. They have serious injuries, but they should recover. Okay. I mean, are they actually physically re... Is there a time loop here? I mean, what, 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 what? Which makes me think it's a dream. Of what could happen if Seven, you know, went Borg fight and started attacking people. <sighs> which I assume yeah. maybe that's what they're going to go with, but I don't know. I don't know. What, what? Okay, so resistance is futile. You're on that page, right? Yeah. At the bottom, it shows a close-up of Seven, Seven's face, Borg face. And then to her left, there is something. Yeah, that's her arm. Oh, is that her arm? Yeah. With the laser. Oh, so that's what that is. Okay, I didn't know what that was. Okay. Yeah. So so it's basically her getting ready to shoot somebody. With exactly. Her, with her Borg arm. Okay. Okay, fine. Gotcha. I didn't know what that was. So I was just trying to, I didn't know what it was. So I did, are they trying, what are they trying to say? Okay. Yeah, I think she's about to shoot him up. Okay. That's pow, right. pow. Pew, pew. And then the next page, not to take, take us off of track, but two page spread. Another beautiful uh, shot of Voyager, I think. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. I'm not sure what all the, like, yellow, white, greenish kind of background stuff going on there. Uh, But it looks very cool. It it looks purdy. It looks very purdy. Right. Yeah, no, it's just like a... Maybe they're in a wormhole, and we don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, is that is that supposed to be part of Warp Effect or something? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. But the first issue had had it too. Yeah, on its two page spread. So right. All right no nice. idea, but again, I like it. I like the two page spread with the little catch, 
you know, the, the captain's log that catches the reader up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just like the old show used to. Yeah. And then it has credits, just like a, like the episode would. There you go. It's good stuff. Yes, it is good stuff. Okay, I have nothing else. No, I've got nothing else about this second issue. I am looking forward to seeing how this ends and see if there is any bigger explanation for the little oddities that we've seen in the first two issues. Right. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I guess we'll find out next week. <laughs> so we shall. So I'm, I'm really glad IDW is doing these. Oh, me too. You know, these are great. I didn't really care for the Odo, Odo uh, you know. Deep Space Nine one. Yeah, the way he was doing Detective Odo. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it was fine, but I- I'm liking this one better. This one feels more like an episode than that one did. Right. And, and there's just weird stuff happening. Which, right, that keeps you thinking. Yeah. It keeps you thinking. Like right. there's more going on here. Now, if we get to the end and there really isn't anything more going on here, that it's just <laughs> it's just those you know those two offshoots of the same alien species are gonna come to some kind of resolution, uh, or maybe not. It's a revolution, and they just like okay, bye. Your warp drive's fixed. You guys work <laughs> your stuff out. You know, if it's just if that's it, and they're not gonna explain some of these little oddities going on, I'm gonna be I'm gonna feel a little gypped, but right. I'm sure it's all gonna be wonderful by the yeah, end. I think I think it'll be good. Yeah. Um, I do find it funny that the people that aren't in these episodes, like yes. Paris and exactly. uh, and Neelix, yep. you know, we haven't we haven't seen them at all. It's and, been two issues. And Bellana. Oh, that's right, Bellana too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so, I yeah. was really I was really uh, looking forward to seeing some of those other characters, and we didn't see the Doctor in the first issue, so I was looking forward to seeing the Doctor. And then, okay, so we see the Doctor in the second issue. So, um, are we going to see those other three? Right. Maybe they'll get little cameos, too. Yeah, at some point. It's just funny. We see more Wildman than we see Paris, which mm-hmm. is something that you could never say about the real show. Exactly. Exactly. Tom Paris, who became an executive producer for Resident Alien TV show. Yeah, which I really like. He directed I... quite a few of those episodes. Exactly. Director, executive producer, pretty doggone good. Pretty doggone good. Uh, the woman who plays well. Bellana has done a lot of uh, um, directing too. Yes, I don't know if she. I don't know if she directed any um, uh, Resident Alien. I didn't notice her. I didn't see her name, but well, I know um, she had directed some episodes of Voyager. What has she done outside of Voyager, direct directorially? Oh, I don't know. I, I've. I've seen her name in shows that I've watched. Okay. Uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, of course. Cool. Because you put me on the spot, but. Oh. <laughs> oh well, I, I haven't noticed her, her name myself, but I mean, a lot of times you don't always see the directors thrown at you. Right. Uh, you in the credits and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. 
Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.